heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning across Rural Queensland Today. A very good morning to everybody through 4SB Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. If you missed any of our previous shows, wooshka.com, go there and you can get in contact anytime you like. Ben.Dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. Huge day in the beef industry yesterday. We'll talk with Will Wilson shortly. Susan McDonald joins us. Men's Health Week. We'll also speak with CEO of Lifeline, Robert Sams as well. Big show for everyone. Let's get into it. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Will Wilson joins us next. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. For the second time this week, we're lucky. We've got Will Wilson, uh, Ag Force Cattle President, joining us. And um, the latest report yesterday released from the Australian Beef Sustainability Framework proves there has never been a better time to eat Aussie beef. The 2022 update was released yesterday and it firmly cements Australia's position as a nutritional powerhouse, revealing the country has delivered 32.3 billion portions of red meat globally in the past year. Will Wilson, good morning. Oh, this must make you terribly proud. I mean, these figures, they don't lie. There has never been a better time to have beef in your household, and it just shows how well it is doing at the moment. Oh, yeah, Ben, for sure. I mean, proud firstly of the industry and, 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 the, and the movement that we're making to answer our consumers' desires. Um, but on top of that, and I think probably the most important, um, that we're engaging, we're engaging as an industry to try and um, improve our product um, as far as quality, yes, that's, we've been working on that forever. But actually, acceptability, I guess, if I can put a word around it, from the customer that we're, we're, we're here acting in a natural environment, managing it to its best to try and get a product out that goes to the consumer that's been looked after. We've got communities around us that are happy. Um, and, 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 and the particular times, like at the moment, we've got a few issues as a, as a, as a nation and as a globe. Um, but one of the things that isn't going to change through that period is the need for nutrition, and we've got a very nutritious product. And um, the admiration for the work that the steering group's done this year and the way that they've engaged with us as Queensland beef producers, let alone Australians, um, with the cattle that are in Queensland and the need for us to show our nature positive or our, or our sustainability um, footprint, as well as the direction we're going to manage things on an, on an ever-increasing or improving basis uh, Format is is really really important, and, and I'm I, I just think it's a bit unique, and it's a real opportunity for myself to be in a situation like this where we can actually get on get on the soapbox and think about it a bit. I think it's a, it's just a fantastic job. Yeah, it, it, it is, mate. And the big thing about it as well, and I think we need for everybody to understand this, and people listening to us, that the figures show more importantly that. The industry has halved its CO2 emissions since 2005, recording a reduction of 58.21% in 2019. Now, what's more, animal welfare continues to be a priority. So the management herd practices, um, combating biosecurity, but mainly 
the CO2 emissions reductions. This has been such a huge talking point. We are on the right track and the pressure that's coming from different areas in society about this industry, I don't think any other industry stacks up like what we've done if you look at it from 58.21% reduction since 2005 in 2019. Like, I mean, that's huge. Halved it. Halved the CO2 emissions. Like... It's it's quite unbelievable. Yet we don't hear these good stories enough. Yeah, no, Ben, that's right. And I'd take it back. I guess it's probably wrong to take it back to my business, but from my perspective, what we've done as an industry to not be the tradition, not be you know, not not be stagnant in our movement, and what what this sort of stuff, and all of the chairs that have been through the Australian Beef Sustainability Framework, like. Um, uh, Susan McDonald, Bryce Cam, Tess Herbert, and I, I think I'm missing a few. I think Richard Rains might have been there. There's been there's been a good work right across the supply chain, but we've got Mark Davy there at the moment, and the, and the what is changing, and particularly now that our herds have been uh, refreshed because of the dry period, uh, we've got a real ability to start focusing on getting a product through our supply chain on a constant rising plane of nutrition, which of course reduces the impact on the environment, CO2 or, or footprint, um, increases our biodiversity, um, makes, makes our working place a better place to be in and makes us more valuable to the Australian people as, as taxpayers. So it, it is, it is, it's not one thing, it's all of the incremental changes that we're making to become more of a modern um, and, and caring industry because um, we went through some tough times in the industry and when tough times come about tradition holds firm and I think because of that because of the change that we've been through and some of it's been uncomfortable but it's given us the opportunity now to really show a a, a solid footprint and and an ever increasing and improving desire to do better at what we do so you know it's all words a bit um, and and that's what it's about marketing and and selling um, and, and selling our story to the world not just our product, but our story around our product. And um, they launched it in Sydney yesterday, so we sent all the best down to Sydney to um, to do the launch. And and I believe they had a pretty pretty good feed there in Brisbane, in Sydney. So um, well done to them, yeah. And well done to us as an industry. And hopefully, what we can drive out of it is better research and development, uh, and working towards us continuing to have a plan and having a goal to what we can do to have a, a nature-positive impact on things as well as be good to the people around us and and, and, and produce a, a better product to the marketplace. What about uh, and giving consumers an idea of the cost? I mean, you guys are obviously looking at these kind of things, but the best way to reflect um, performance and, and to, give, to give people and consumers an idea so they understand that what it takes to have this animal, like, I mean, there's never, beef is such a, a stable part of the diet, but getting people to understand the, the challenges that we have and, and, and reflecting that so the community understand it and they can see the work that we're doing, selling that message is, is, is as hard as anything as well. Yeah, I think it, it is the most important one. All the work at the moment and working through the supply chain to our customer is most important because... They do care. They, they, they do want to eat the product. They, they want to be part of it, but they want to make sure that we're making the effort. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I reflect on a fair bit is how, um, 
how you would feel if you were on the other side of the fence. So if you lived in a in a in an eight B four unit in 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 West End, and, and everyone gets a feel of who I'm talking about. Yep. Um, their concern is about their cat, maybe if they're lucky enough to have one, um, and that's their environment. And we're in a much bigger and broader scale, and them having confidence for us to be doing with our environment what they believe they, they, they would be doing if they had the opportunity or what they are doing with the environment they live in, I think is important. And um, one of the things that we can do to really align in that is be, be open and transparent about what we show them, but also be open and transparent about what our goals are. Um, because where we've been in the past, particularly in Queensland, is we've been asked questions and we've been a little bit self-righteous in the fact that we say we know what we're doing. Um, we see and live in the environment. We understand the environment. But to be like that and say we know is a bit much. And the best way for them to control someone in that situation is regulation. And we've seen that happen time and time again. Regulation is not really having a good impact on the environment. And we want to move to more of, more of a... Uh, a research, uh, uh, be, be able to do development so we can yeah. actually look at areas and say, well, what is the best case? What, what can, what could I agree with that person in West End yeah. to have the best case environment and then buy into the, buy into the model of what we're trying to do and bring them on the journey? Because if we do it and it doesn't look good or it's not appealing, then we We've can't debate it afterwards. We've yeah. got to take them on the journey. And this is part of the framework to really show them these positive stories because I mean, I'm sitting at, sitting at the in the paddock at the moment. There's a blue gum flat with you know a, a, a bit of iron bark ridges around it, and there is. I don't think there'd be a person out there that wouldn't look at that environment and say that it's a, it, it's nice, it's 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 picturesque, it's doing a good thing for the as, as far as the footprint. It's not going backwards, and that's about the framework. That's about getting that message out there, saying these are the things we're doing to improve, and we're aiming to get better, but we're also like to show you some of the environment we live in. Exactly the same as if you went to that person's house in West End and they want to introduce you to their cat and let you have one of the strawberries off their little strawberry bush in the punnet on the side. It, you know, that's, that's that exactly the same thing. You know, so it's, it's, it's hospitality, really, if, if I had to put a word around it. Love it. Great to chat. Congratulations. Talk to you again shortly. Good on you, Ben. See you Thanks, later. Mate. All Will Wilson. Best, Will Wilson. Great news story. Rural Queensland today. On rural Queensland today, across the Resonate Broadcast Network, it is Friday morning, the 17th of June, and Robert Sams <coughs> is the Executive Director of Lifeline Australia. And the numbers, they just don't lie. In 2020, 2,384 men took their own lives, representing around three-quarters of all lives lost to suicide. Now, in spite of this disproportion, only one in four <coughs> men say they would have likely seeked help from dedicated mental health services when they're doing it tough. We have to make a change in this. We have to change the narrative around this story. I'm going to repeat it. 2,384 men took their own lives in 2020. That is just harrowing. These numbers don't lie um, and they are quite, quite scary. Um, It's my great pleasure, Robert Sams, to introduce you this morning. How are you, mate? I'm doing okay, thank you. Great to chat. Yeah, mate, um, this is a real worry. This is beyond a worry. Um, I don't know how we change it. I don't know how we change the narrative. I think there's a couple. I agree with you, the narrative, and, and we have to, you know, I think one of the keys is there is hope. You know, there is 
There are things that we can do about it. Suicide is not inevitable. And I think, you know, we talk about those numbers and they're just astonishing and, and they're really hard to get your head around. But, you know, when you think about them, they're brothers and mates and fathers, grandfathers, workmates, you know, sports mates. They're, they're real people. And I think, um, you know, one of the real ways we can change that narrative is, you know, as mates, as, as family, uh, we can uh, reach out. We can also reach in. Uh, and I guess that's you now one of the key things around our messages is we're there for everybody at Lifeline, no matter what, every time of the day yeah. uh, or any time of the day, sorry. But also, yeah, we want to be able to encourage people and more importantly, equip them with the skills to connect with each other and, and help each other out. Oh, well, I mean, I love what – I mean, any way of raising awareness is a good way, but Lifeline Australia and Barbecues Galore are launching a new collaboration for this Men's Health Week to take action and turn a humble backyard barbie into an opportunity to have a life-saving conversation. Now, we all love a barbie. It's a part of the Australian way, and whether or not you're in the bush and you've got your, your, your um, camp oven around a fire or whether or not you've got friends over in the cities and you're having a barbecue, I think this is a great idea. And the humble barbecue, and it's, it's about having life-saving conversation. So... Barbecues Galore has been side by side with the Aussies for 45 years and you guys have come together. So how does this work? It, it is, it's terrific, isn't it? Yeah, I think I agree. You know, and, and research that I found out through this uh, great collaboration is about two-thirds of Australia have a barbie and, and that's probably understated. You say, you know, in, in rural areas, it might not be the barbie on the patio that it is in the city. So, you know, I think it is a great place to connect, you know, and, and we meet over, you know, food and we have a good time and I think, you know, it is a, a great opportunity, um, you know, to be there alongside your mate as barbecues galore have been there but alongside us to just have a chat, ask how they're going and I think, you know, more important than that, be there and ready for them. Um, you know, if the answer is I'm not doing so well. And, yeah. you know, one of the really important things that we do at Lifelight is uh, we listen really well. We listen without judgment. You know, we, we, we hear some challenging things and people have got challenging stuff in their life, but our, our job is not to judge. Our job is to, to be there and let them know that they're heard. And, and if, you know, your listeners can play a role in that, you know, around the barbecue or any time of the day, they can just make people be, be heard, we can make a huge difference. Oh, I, I think this is a great initiative. I think this is a great, great initiative and, and one. So when and how, is there a certain day or is it just what Lifeline and Barbecues Galore are doing now um, to, to raise this awareness or is there – a week when when's men health week kick off when do we yeah. when do we start and and when do we push this because i mean i'm i'm cooking a barbie tonight but i, I i'd love to get a group of mates over and say right we're having a barbie and not even just to have the conversation but just it's just a welfare check you, you don't even yeah. need to mention it it's just seeing if everybody's all right like you know like it, it's it's no different to going to the pub and having a punt but i mean having a barbecue having people at home you get a more intimate idea because somebody might be a bit quiet People feel a bit more relaxed. This is the way. This is the way I think would be a great thing. I, I think yes. Yeah, so great question. We're smack bang in the middle of Men's Health Week, and you know this is the start of a collaboration with Barbecues Galore. And yeah, we're we're stoked that we're starting this. But you know, there's no no end in sight for this. This is a, as you said, raising awareness and and making sure that people feel equipped to the to um to have the tools. And, and you know, one of the questions that often we get asked at Lifeline is, what happens when you call? And the answer to that question is we ask, we answer it with, this is Lifeline, may we help you? you know, that is what we're about. So you know, if you've got any listeners there, particularly this Men's Health Week, who are 
you know, worried and think, oh, you know, I need my Medicare card. They're going to take down my details. I can't tell them that I've done this. Or, you know, we are there for everybody in any circumstance. So and that's probably the first point. And I think, you know, the second point you make is, you know, getting together um, and letting your mates know that you care. And, and that doesn't have to be a warm and fuzzy thing. It's just saying, hey, if you need something, I'm here for you. Yeah, I, I, I love this. I, I love this so much. Um, and I think people listening to us, if you've got some mates or you want to do something or even if you can't get a barbecue if you're in remote areas, ring up a mate, ring up a neighbour. Um, if you're in the regional areas and you've got some time tomorrow night and you want to watch the footy while the Broncos are playing tonight, get a couple of blokes over. With barbecues galore. I mean, and I can't talk about it. I've got a web of queue from barbecues galore. I've got to say it's one of the greatest things I've ever invested in. But to me, um, this just makes perfect sense and, and one that I think that we really should talk about more and more. Really appreciate your time. I, I am petrified about those numbers, though. I, I, I've got to be honest with you. I, I just think that in this day and age, we, we, there's still a stigma around it and there really is yeah. a, around yeah. having that conversation and – yeah. I mean, we've all got our demons. We've all had them uh, in, in our time. And, and the fact is that we've got to be brave enough to be able to talk to somebody. It, if it, yeah. it can save and, and one life, it, it, it's going to make a difference. It sure does. And I think, you know, on the flip side of that is be brave enough to be there with your mate when you're not doing so well. And, you know, those are the things that we break down suicide stigma. And, uh, you know, people can reach out any time. That, that's the important thing. Three o'clock in the morning, if that's the time for you, three o'clock in the afternoon, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for sharing. Good on you. Robert Sams, um, Executive Director of Lifeline Australia. Appreciate your time this morning. Lovely to talk. Cheers. On Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, 17th of June, a cross-rural Queensland today. Senator Susan McDonald joins us this morning. Good morning, Susan. How are you? I'm very well, Ben. Recently returned from Western Australia. Yeah, and there's some big big challenges over there, isn't there, at the moment? Um, potash, um, that's the, the the mineral that no one really understands, yet alone it is clearly important, but the Western Australian government, once again, have dropped the ball, um, and this could be very costly for all of Australia from a royalties perspective. Well, look, Australia imports all of its, uh, of its potash into the country. Um, this is We've found, discovered during uh, COVID, that this is a massive exposure for uh, for us. Um, uh, you know, for for agriculture, it's a critical part of um, of growing healthy crops, but also it puts potassium into into the food we grow, which is important for human health. We don't have any potash mines in Australia. In Western Australia, there are two that are being developed. Uh, so a very important mineral. It seems weird to be mining something for agriculture, but that's the way it works. Very important mineral, and yet the Western Australian government doesn't want to make it a critical mineral and wants to charge them full freight royalties. Now, does this ring a bell? Sounds like the Queensland government. You know, you want to keep putting your hands in everybody else's pockets, but this is an industry that's got to get off the ground. It's very important for, uh, for us as a nation uh, and and these projects look like they won't go ahead because um, the Western Australian government's just you know crueling their chances. So like like Queensland, Ben, where you know coal royalties, um, they, they keep bloody using smoke and mirrors to describe things. They say, oh, we froze co- um, coal royalties. Well, the rate might have been frozen, like tax rates, but 
uh, coal prices have increased three and nearly fourfold. If uh, because it's a percentage rate, that means that the Queensland government's receiving three, nearly four times the royalties that it was, you know, than a couple of years ago. But what do they want to do? They want to put their hands in the pockets of, of mining companies. They want to charge a higher percentage. Uh, they want to drive up the cost of of, um, of coal that we use in, in energy generation here in this country. Uh, and they want to once again start taking money out of out of the economy and, and God knows where it'll be spent. But you can guarantee it won't be spent in regional Queensland. Yeah, and that's the big thing um, that, that – that- we just want some accountability off the back of it, don't we? We just need to know where it is. How important is it that they put this on the on the minerals list so they can actually we can actually produce it and and, and I suppose mine it in Australia. I don't know that I can overestimate how or overemphasise how important it is. At the moment, we import all of the potassium, all of the potash that we use, all of it. It is a very important fertilizer input. Uh, we know it's critical for soil health, which is, um, you know, something that means that we can continue to not strip nutrients out of our soil, but add to it, add to um, uh, to uh, carbon sequestration in the soil to increase the the root health and and generally just make the plant more productive uh, and healthier. So this is something that we we desperately would like to have coming from an Australian production system, uh, and yet. You know, for some reason, instead of it being charged the same sort of royalty rates as you would for um, for phosphate or even for salt, which is a, another naturally occurring mineral, uh, salt mineral, uh, which potash is a version of, uh, they want to charge the same royalty rate as you would for nickel, uh, which is a you know a value add um, you know, end of line product. So. Yeah, I don't know, Ben. You know, anyway, as the new uh, Shadow Resources Minister, I'll be raising this and um, and trying to ensure that the Western Australian government realises that uh, this is in the national interest that we start this this industry, uh, that we support it while it gets off the ground. It'll cost a billion dollars to to get this this project started, and um, and if they increase the royalty, you know, uh, to the level that they want to, five percent. Uh, it just makes these mines unviable. We'll have to continue um, buying potash from overseas and we'll have to continue using... Uh, they use a different method for extracting potash overseas, which is, you know, it's more expensive. It's not wildly good. It, it, you end up with a lot of uh, um, acid, hydrochloric acid, uh, as a byproduct. We don't end up with that in Australia. We have a, a better quality of potash here. Um, and so I don't really understand why, you know, why they're not more supportive of, of this um, this project? Yeah, no, I agree. Can we talk about the big the big energy crisis this week? And it's laughable that we're at this point, but we have all been told that we face in all the states massive blackouts because we don't have the reserves. I, I mean, I shake my head in disbelief. Now, I've got to be fair to say this: this this would have occurred. Either way, it just would have occurred either way, like with either government. But we, we've we got to look at now rectifying it so it doesn't ever happen again. Yeah, look, I'm not sure that it, it you know, would have wrecked it. It would have happened um, either way. I mean, we, there is that, you're right, there is a reality that uh, coal-fired power stations in Queensland 
Um, they weren't able to go through the scheduled maintenance programs during COVID that they should have. They weren't able to get parts into the country. They weren't able to get some of the, the specialised technicians into the country. So, you know, they, they waited and waited and then, you know, they've, they've now had to start these maintenance programs. Um, so, that you know, that's a problem. And once you take coal-fired power stations offline, uh, we generate, so Western Australia generates 40% of the of its electricity from, from coal-fired power stations. Uh, in Queensland, coal and gas combined is uh, is about 87%. So, you know, a huge part of our, of our energy generation mix. So when they go offline, you've got to be dragging more gas into the system. Now, previously, uh, under Angus Taylor and Keith Pitt, they had uh, agreements with the gas companies where they'd say, you need to put more gas into the, into the domestic system. Uh, and the gas companies did that. They were charging about a quarter of the export uh, price um, into the domestic market. And the whole thing was, was managed. You know, could we do better? Absolutely. Uh, in Queensland, we introduced a domestic, uh, a domestic reservation tenures, which means that you're able to send ma- uh, signals to the market well in advance. You know, if you take up this tenure, this gas reserve, uh, when you when you extract gas for that, this is where it's going into the domestic market. Yeah. So that worked quite well. New South Wales and Victoria um, not doing their part at all, not extracting yeah. gas at all because they're precious and special and God knows what else. It's not right because uh, Queensland and Western Australia and South Australia are having to pump gas into those markets because those companies, uh, those states think that they don't have to do any heavy lifting themselves. But what's happened with the change of government is the new energy minister, uh, Chris Bowen, charged in, boots and all, gave the gas companies a big serve, told everybody how bad they were, and the gas companies quite reasonably said, well, you know, we, we want to do our, the right thing by the nation, but, you know, we're going to let the traders off the leash and, and start looking for the best price we can because this guy's telling us that, um, you know, how bad we are, how difficult we are. It's a little bit of human nature then. Anyway, it put increased pressure on, on the gas supplies and now we have a real problem where they're talking about having to uh, shed shed load to um, to get consumers, domestic consumers, to use less energy at nights when the demand is the greatest. Yeah. Uh, and, and as prices increase, I'm desperately worried that for... For our elderly, for our vulnerable, uh, for people who cannot afford increases, they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt um, of, of what's happening in the market, which is you know increased prices. But we've got to get our coal-fired power stations back online. We've got to continue using them because they're cheap, they're efficient, and despite what the greenies might tell you, they have uh, very low emissions because we have we have developed technology to make them. Uh, you know, efficient um, energy systems. So uh, that's what we've got to continue working towards is supporting and maintaining and, and putting money into coal-fired power stations. Uh, we will we will have greater numbers of renewal, renewables in the future, but it's not anytime soon. And that's what we've always been talking about with our carbon neutral 2050 target. That gives us time to, to properly introduce uh, new elements into the market without smashing people with prices on the way. 
Yeah, it, it's quite unbelievable um, where it all heads. Really appreciate your time this morning. Um, I do want to get quickly to just the wage increase. So the Labor government have come out and they're going to lift the the, um, the minimum wage. That's all well well and good, you know. But it, I don't. Know, it's got to come from somewhere though, Susan. It has to come from somewhere. Yeah, Ben. It's a it's. It's the reality that um, Labor has been very political with the with the wage increase. So the waging, wages are set by the Fair Work Commission. It's an independent body, uh, but Labor went hard on, on trying to influence the outcome um, of, of that wage increase. So 5.2%. Now, uh, Labor, most of the cabinet ministers, I think only one of them, Tony Burke's ever... Um, you know, had a business, I think he had a law firm or he worked as a lawyer. The rest of them don't understand that when you put wages up, at the same time that superannuation goes up, that's going to 10.5% on the 1st of July. Uh, lots of companies then pay payroll tax on top of that, uh, a, a state-based tax, so the compounding rate of that. So, you know, people would like you to think that it's only uh, a $1 an hour increase, but it's not. We tax the crackers out of businesses. Now, uh, particularly hospitality and um, uh, and tourism businesses, they are run dry. They have used all of their reserves over the last two years with opens, closes and no staff. So they are going to bear the brunt of uh, these increased costs. Uh, now, for the, for the um, more skilled uh, workforce, so uh, chefs, and um, and whatnot, they're already paying well above award. So it's not that they're not already paying increased wages, but this is going to apply to the to the unskilled in those workforces. So you know, cleaners and uh, and perhaps you know young apprentices or young people who are starting work. Now you know, I'm with you. We would like to see everybody paid uh, paid more. That that's great. No two ways about it. Jobs <laughs> jobs don't grow on trees. Jobs only occur. When some other person, a business owner, takes out a mortgage, uh, works, you know, all the hours under the sun, uh, and and takes risk and makes a business and generates jobs, sure. so we cannot keep trying to trying to uh, uh, you know extract more out of out of our business owners because they just can't absorb more costs, uh, wages, superannuation, payroll tax. Um, uh, plus increased cost of electricity. Uh, I'm very concerned that you know at the very time of increased interest rates, uh, increasing inflation, we're actually going to kill off the the golden goose, the people who who create jobs, and uh, and we will have less jobs available you know across the nation. So it's very serious, Ben. Um, the economy we've left you know the coalition's left the economy in an amazing situation, lowest unemployment. Uh, for you know generations, but you just can't keep squeezing the blood out of businesses. Um, they are under pressure, and uh, and and you know they deserve help, not increased costs. Yeah, well said. Appreciate your time this morning, Senator Susan McDonald. Thanks for being with us on this Friday morning. We'll talk next week. Absolutely. You have a great weekend, Ben. Yeah, so same to you. Uh, this is Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network.
Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. I, uh, it was amiss of me not to mention this yesterday, but last night Andrew McCulloch played his 300th NRL game uh, for St George, a former Brisbane Bronco and uh, Newcastle Knight and represented his uh, state, Queensland. Andrew McCulloch is everything that rural and regional Queensland stands up for. Born and bred in Dolby, his old man's a painter, um, Graham, and his mum, Wendy, wonderful people, and from the Dolby diehards, to the NRL to play 300 first-grade games is nothing short of remarkable. How he's conducted himself throughout his career speaks volumes of the man that he is today. He is an absolute ornament of the game and a huge ambassador of it. He makes everybody a better person when you get to know Andrew McCulloch. Country values, country morals, and has been a stalwart of the game. He still has a year and a half to go on his contract, so expect more. And the fact is that he's had some injuries during that time. Um, there's a reason that they call him Chainsaw um, and th- there is a reason that everybody wants to be around him because of just the way the game has gone. A really, really good story and one that everybody should be proud of. Well done to Andrew McCulloch and his St George Dragons turned it on last night, didn't they, against South Sydney to have a victory in his 300th. And I love the fact that Graham and Wendy went down there and surprised him and uh, it made such a difference. I think his wife Carly and his little son, uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal story for a bloke that is just a great human being and has given so much back to the game. Broncos play Melbourne tonight in Melbourne and look, You've also got the Cowboys taking on uh, Manly as well in the early game. Let's not – I think uh, the Cowboys win this one. I don't think there's any two ways about that. I think they're playing unbelievable football. But I just want to get onto the Broncos before we wrap this show up. A lot of people obviously will be concerned and saying, oh, is Kebby the right bloke? And look, and we're playing Melbourne and don't expect too much tonight. I mean, they're being up seven games in a row. No team has done that um, at that level. To win seven games in a row is is a great effort and the improvement is already there. They've had nine wins this season and we're into round 15 and there's still a long way to go of the Telstra Premiership. But the bottom line is that Kevin Walters is making a difference. No Adam Reynolds tonight. Payne Huss will play. A new halves combination. Week in, week out, it's not going to be that easy for them. But defensively, they stand up. They've lost Herbie Farmworth for the season. So their combinations just aren't there at this moment. But going forward... Brisbane are going to become the powerhouse again that everybody hoped for. Tonight is a real test, and on the 2nd of July is an even bigger test. Um, and so what what I would say is please and please just everybody accept that Brisbane are going to be doing their best tonight. It might not be the result we want, but who cares? It's football and the Broncos are back. So best of luck to the Broncos tonight, but more importantly – it's round 15. Origin side gets named on Monday. Uh, there'll be another Origin in Perth uh, on Sunday week. Uh, I will be there covering that. That will be enjoyable as well, and we'll keep you with a comprehensive coverage over the course of it. Can I also just t- touch on the netball? A lot of people listening to us as Jordan's played netball. It's a phenomenal sport. And the fact that Netball Australia is on its knees at the moment from a financial crisis is very concerning. We're going to look at this more and more in the coming weeks and when it all comes out. But the fact is that it was never a professional sport. And in the modern age of having to pay athletes, the wages have far outweighed the sponsorship and revenue that has been raised. Netball Australia is in a real hole and one that we really are concerned about. So 
I believe that we should be absolutely looking and doing everything we can. We need to make this sport profitable and we need to make sure that there's a pathway for our girls to stay and to continue to play and obviously um, make sure that they are happy in the process of doing it. This is Rural Queensland Today. That's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back on Monday from 9. Have a great weekend. Ray Hadley joins you next. Remembering when the week's right, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. See you later.